This is Translation Talks, brought to you by the Exchange's Literary Journal, and here is an interview with Marie Silkeberg. about the idea, especially when listening to your work, the idea of internal space. Wow, what the question. Internal space. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and, and, and there's oh, wow. so much in there, you know? And, and for, there's first, there's relating to the outside from, from being within, and then there's within that space, you know, generating thought, creating thought, reacting to one's mm -hmm. own thought, mm -hmm. and then the crossing and crisscrossing of language, and all of those things happening at once and together. Mm -hmm. And I feel especially listening to your work in dialogue with another language, as in your Gaeth Almadun work. Mm -hmm. Att stå kvar i försöket. Tänkte att bota filmhåla. De vikande skikten. Negativet. Belysningen. Längre. Vakten. Attvar. Tyngre. Askal. Mörkare. Axaru dulmaten. Begravning i rött ljus. Att defnu tahta dawil ahmur. Att glömma namnet. It seems very apparent that internal space is like a strong and very present landscape. Mm. Yeah, it was such a good question. It made me totally speechless. <laughs> but and it of course has changed for me during the years I've been writing and translating. I can speak like about this work with. Madun, and because I think that there is like something when you are in dialogue with someone, which language you cannot speak. Somehow it creates what you also call an inner space, mm -hmm. where you somehow try to express something, and that is, uh, of course, very interesting because it becomes almost a mute speech inside uh, what is. <laughs> exterior somehow, mm -hmm. um, but uh, connected to translation about, I don't know, because right now I think I'm, I'm writing, after this book, uh, poems that have no interiority at all. It is very strange. Mm -hmm. They are totally directed outwards, even they are written in the second person all the time, so it's like or, or maybe they are totally in inner space as well, but it is like they are really moving. I'd say that they are all, it's about flight. Right. Also an interiority that you cannot reach. That's why you have to move. And that you can know, you could say that that is of course related to translation. Because mm -hmm. I, I remember, uh, as I told, I was a teacher 
When I started to teach, I had a class for other artists, and then I made an exercise, gave them an exercise that they should. Uh, it was a new city to me, so I, I just asked, "Where is a place far away from the city center?" And I said, "You, you should go there, and you should uh, write down words from uh, ads and from people in the streets and everything, and you should make a text of it." And, but uh, you cannot finish the text before someone says something that you can answer with me too. Mm. So you have to walk and walk and walk and use every, all languages and you, have, you are not allowed to use any word that you think. You have, if you need a word, you have to provoke someone to say it to you. Wow. <laughs> and that somehow I was really, it was interesting, <laughs> it's really very interesting what you can say, me too, Yeah. also with, but, and then maybe, it's then, then it's a work where inner space is possible, mm -hmm. so inner space is a very, very special thing. Mm. How did you move into that project from, from what you were doing before, how did it start? With this, Kriat uh, and me. I think I, I think I have been like working with that for a long time. I had a long period when I couldn't write at all for different reasons, and uh, I had to start working. I wanted to. I I missed it so much, and then I started to go by, not by uh, metros, but in buses because people speak in buses, not in metros. And I started mm. to write down. I really wanted, to, and then I wanted to write about my own city, Stockholm. So I was like, when people see these poems, they will not believe that I was writing down voices. But because it was really like I was studying, it was like very small particles in language. It is like they are very, very thin poems. They are like moving from like one small word to another. It is, but they are where they were very like. It was like. Creating a new alphabet, mm. I think, to start with, that it was not only from the inner space. I, and I really needed that. And also it had to do with that I also needed Swedish, to mingle with Swedish deeply. So I think that from that book and to this, to Damascus, there is a line. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, I, I think also because I was working with films, and we worked with films together, me and Fiat, and it was his idea that we should write together. But you know, people ask you a lot of things. Uh, should we do this project? And not some things you say yes to, or at least I will try. But uh, I think it was also a time when, in also this, like you suddenly open your mind and ears to the sound of your society, I also really heard what was excluded and I knew that this uh, immigrants coming to Sweden, mm -hmm. they had no, they had a certain place where they should stay. And Huyat came to Sweden and he had, was dedicated, he would not become an immigrant. <laughs> he, so. To move him like to just 
it takes somehow one, two, three generations to come as an immigrant and get into the center of a society. And then it is like there's so many things that happen on this way. And, and my grandfather, he came from Russia, so that's why I somehow also have been thinking a lot about that. But like Huyati came directly from Syria and came to, <laughs> without like having been confronted so much with the limits of being an immigrant and learning a new language and everything. So his experience of exile was so fresh. And I think that was very important for the book to have this confrontation also with, maybe also over time with this, as I am, a grandchild of immigration. And I know, yeah, to think about, for me, once again, what is, what is, what is exile, what is, what is it, to be a citizen, what is it, to have a language. And you translated each other's writing, <coughs> right? I translated his to Swedish, because it is published, published in Swedish. And he, but he had, because I don't know Arabic, so he translated it to English. I could say very transparent English, because it's not perfect. Mm. But then we have very long, 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 long discussions about it. But now he's starting to translate it to Arabic. Some, some poems he did translate to Arabic, but I, I translate and read for him in English my poems. So it was like, English, so strangely, it was like our where we could meet, where we can meet. Mm. It's where so many meet. Yeah, it is. It is somehow, that's why people both love and hate English so yeah. much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you brought up that the word confrontation, and I wonder how you experienced confrontation, and on what levels. During this work? Yes, well, if, or at any work that you want to think talk about, but <laughs> but the idea of two like two people from uh, two different places and spaces in history, so the confrontation of meeting, but also linguistically, and then poetically, so there's at least three kinds of confrontation happening. Yeah, yeah. I remember when we started because when we had uh, I would say confrontation and meeting and touching of each other's languages and work and like processes was when we worked with the film. And, and I remember I, I also, before that, joked a lot about that I have too much willpower. I want so much and I'm so strong in my desire and people agreed to that, so it was a joke. But I remember when we started to work and I, I felt that I met someone who was stronger in his willpower and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was like very, uh, it, was like, it was a good feeling to have, and it's like very, because we, we can quarrel, me until we, it, they are violent quarrels, they are extremely hard. And we are so, so stubborn, both of us. For me, that you have to be that if you're going to do a collaboration like that. Mm. It is not like 
if someone says yes and not are not like so true in what yes or no it means or something, it it will be so vague everything. Mm. It's the only way to yeah. But we are like both. I think we're both surprised that it, even after years we we don't give up. Like it's not like you know with some people you like find a way to <laughs> be a little more smooth. We don't. <laughs> keep it fresh. <laughs> yeah, we we'll keep it fresh. Definitely. Especially with your the movies that are available on the mm. internet that you've mm. created. Mm. Um, the thing that strikes me most about that, Rebecca and I watched them over and over last night, I'm pretty sure. And um, so I want, I have so many questions about it, but first, the difference between being on the page and then being visible and, and oral, mm. if mm. you will, and mm. how does that, um, enhance or supplement or um, support the work that you do and that confrontation yeah. that's so vital. I don't think it supports the work, it really set, sets the work at risk. It, it is from, it's very, very, it's so different from a poem on the page and a film. And to move it from the page to film, it is, it is, a, it is so different. I, I really cannot even see that they are the same artisans, what you call it, but, but uh, and I don't think it's, it is a translation process, I, I think that people use the word translation too much. <laughs> Yeah. It, it takes up all over the space, everything is translation, writing is translation, everything. I, I, I don't think so. I think translation is something very specific. But this is, I would call it more transformation of something, and mm -hmm. it's really a, where risk really is there all the time, because it, and it's like, I never, like, I never started m m making a film with knowing what I would do. It is really something, it is like writing poems, you know. I want to do something, something with this, maybe like that. I see a, a wonderful photographer and I feel, oh, this like, way of making images, maybe touches and, because I somehow, I don't know my poetry by heart, but it's inside me, of course, and I can somehow activate it and understand it and think about it over and over again in different ways. I don't remember the question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, well, I think you answered it. It was less of a question, more of a pro just like thinking about um, just the difference between having, having a reader read the the text and also in its different languages versus hearing yeah. and seeing. But you could also say that the film changes the public space of a poem. Mm. And that is like yes, poetry always like ask this question where where is the poem? I remember I heard Lynn Lynn Hedginian say, How could how could uh, the poem be in your book when it is in my book? And I love that feeling that like how can they where is where are the poems somehow 
are they really in the books when you read it? No, it's not there any longer. It's inside you or somewhere. It is not. And so, where, <laughs> so what is the public space of a poem? But to move and to move it from the book to film, it is you move it to some uh, more uncertain and more open and more public and more collective space. Like reading a poem in a book, you you always do it alone. If you're good, not attending a reading, but it's still like the poet is there, and it's like you have to relate to the poem, <laughs> and then that is makes something, but. A film you, you, at least in screenings, there you have this, like a theater, you are at the same moment experience the same thing with people. And that is, it's very special to have that with mm. poetry. Mm. Is it still the poem when it moves? Is it still I the poem? Yeah, it it's still the poem, but it has transformed. Or it just used its own energy to do something else with it, like... Mm what it can do or should do or want to do. We actually touched on, you said um, reading is always solitary, and we sort of touched on this last night with Antonio as well, this question of uh, just being completely, like in complete solitude when you're reading or writing, and then how, uh, like Antonio was saying when he does translation, he can be in a really crowded room and just the circumstances are different or like the way that when you're bringing two texts in conversation with each other almost or two languages some there's like a different feeling of solitude or it becomes less it's just as lonely or I don't know we were thinking about all of these different levels of solitude yeah. and yeah but I was like answering another question writing yesterday and I was starting to say about this that it is a solitary experience to read and write poetry and I was just looking at this sentence, it's like, it's so conventional to say that. Is it really true that you are alone when you're writing? I don't, actually, if you go into your, <laughs> into your space, it is, you are not, it is not a lonely space. When you're writing, it is not total loneliness. It is something, you are crowded with something. Mm -hmm. If it is like voices or like only like whispers, it's not total solitude. I, I feel that there's something wrong and that we keep repeating this. I don't think that you write in total solitude. Mm. I, and you can say, you, at least some people would say that you are writing in dialogue with tradition or like anything, but it is not... Language is, language is not solitary. It's not so solitary as colors. Language is like everyone's. That's why it's so special with literature, that it's why people are so engaged in it, because it belongs to all of us, not only people who write or translate. And this, like, touching this materia that you, we all use every day, that is, that is something very special. It makes me think about the other question of relationship. It's like shared space together, having a glass of wine, the ghost of the author comes into their room at night. And have you thought about that at all? Or internal space, interiority, do you feel a, the presence of an author you're working with? In like, when I translate, 
and I, I have only like chosen what I wanted to translate, and it has strangely not only been female poets. <laughs> and uh, I, I want, and so I, and that has been a, really like a desire to be in a dialogue with this, this poetry, not with the authors actually. I mean, like, I it it has happened. And I was has been very happy about that. I was trans translating Susan Howe, and I, we were like both emailing to each other, and I was like extremely grateful for her comments and her own work. And but when I was translating Rosemary Waldrop, she was like very, very like strict, no answers, nothing. And I was like, okay, it was, she's a translator herself, and I respected that, so it was fine. But the, the poet I've been translating most, it, she's a Danish poet, Nye Christensen. And I started to translate her. I read her when I was 19, and I was like, she, she's literally, for me, the greatest and, uh, poet, at least in Scandinavia and Europe, I don't know. Um, but, uh, it, but I had a special relation because she was Danish. So the Danish for me was like a... It is really, it was because I grew up in Denmark and it somehow, it touches me very deeply, mm. Danish. Mm. But uh, I started to translate her just because people asked me to do it for a magazine. And then a publishing house wanted to translate her like big book, It. And I said yes. I want, I can do that, and then I sent her this translation, and she said okay, because she was really very severe. Like, nobody, she was very hard with her translations. <laughs> but, and then I started, but I was very happy that she said yes after she had sold the translations, because she died just half a year later. And, but before that, I was like, I gave up. It was so difficult, I felt like, I cannot, I cannot do this. And then, uh, but then, then when she died, she was only like 70, it was too early and people were, we were all waiting for a new uh, collection of poetry from her, a long, long time. So it was like a, such a deep sadness that there, there will be no more poetry from this poet. And in this morning, I started to translate, try to translate again. Like, I couldn't stand that her voice shouldn't be in the world. So it was really like a morning process. And then I continued, like, I think I translated five or six of her books. And, but it's still in this feeling. And I, I know that I, I heard one of the questions here in the workshop, translation workshop, about this relation to the author. And it is very special to translate someone who's dead. Mm. If there's something that happens also that has to do with translation, with the voice, with like uh, life and death. And so if I feel her presence, uh, no, when I translate, no, I don't. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it reminds me though of um, what you're saying, like uh, when families get together to sort of remember loved ones that have passed away, they sort of bring out a photo album and go through the photos and do the sort of active remembrance of them. Sort of your work in translating sort of reminds me of that same sort of 
active remembrance. Yeah. Do you think being in the space of mourning um, affected how you translate it at all? Yeah, the first book definitely, definitely. But because it's a very special book, uh, it's written in '69, and it is like uh, it has so much utopian energy inside it. It is really like uh, the first sentence is it that was it. Now it starts. It is like they are like they are so good. These sentences like it was it. Now it starts. But, uh, yeah, this utopian energy versus mourning, yeah. But I cannot really say how, it, but I know it did. But now, they asked me to translate the most difficult because it's sonnets, rhyme sonnets. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they are about mourning, but I, I really hesitate. It's not only because of the rhymes. There's something with it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm going to make it. When they asked me to translate alphabet, that, that, then I was like shaking. It was like, please don't ask me this question. It is the best book ever. And it is so, like, it is really untranslatable. And it was like, don't ask me. And but then I had understood that they, want, they are going to publish it, whatever I want. So if, the, if it's not me, it's, it will be someone else. And that I have to think if I wanted mm. someone else to do it. It has to be you. Yeah, so I did it. But I did it with help of an, it was really a collaboration. That was very, very good. Mm. Collaborating. Translation, yeah. How did that, what was that like? It was great. It was really great because it was, uh, we had been, Working with Rosemary Waldrop together, we were three that made it like three books of Rosemary Waldrop in one. So we had been working together, me and this Ida. But she, I, she has a, such a beautiful Swedish. She comes from the north of Sweden. And for me, whenever I enter Danish, I get like something a little like I'm not sure about Swedish any longer. It makes it's unsettled Swedish for me. So it's, uh, and that is like, and for me, Swedish sounds best when it has a touch of Danish. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm the only Swede thinking that. So, <laughs> but, but I, uh, so, but it was a really very happy collaboration. We just worked back and forth, met and sat in the kitchen, smoking, discussing, and like, Suddenly entering. Now I have a solution. This is now we do like this. It was no. It was a very very happy mm -hmm. collaboration, and I, and it was a new experience for me to translate together. I, I definitely could do it again. It sounds like a real contrast between that and Hyatt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was in, all, in the same time, yeah, time, period of time. Yeah. It was very. When you brought up the sonnets and the the shaking and worry about the rhyme and the 14 lines and all the the specific specificities of that, mm -hmm. what kind of responsibility do you feel or hold inside you for that? Like, it's different because with the sonnets, this, I don't know what you call it in English, but it is really a, 
a circle of sonnets? Have you, do you mm. have a sonnet cycle? Yes, yeah, sonnet mm. cycle. So she wrote the first, or oh, this is the last sonnet. The, each line is the beginning of the, of the first line, beginning of the second line, beginning of poem number two. But it's not that, it's also that the first line, and then it ends with the second line, and then the second line is repeated. In the, it is so, so well crafted, so you cannot imagine. Mm. Um, I, in this case, I would say the rhymes, of course, is, are the most difficult, but with her, with the rhyming, people rhyme differently. For her, it is the proof of the uh, genius of the language. <laughs> and so I don't know. I, I, haven't, I haven't said yes yet. Or I, I laughed and said yes from here, but I'm not sure I would do it. But when I translated the, it, it, is, it, she was very much into mathematics. So she, the first part is like consists of 66 lines, 66 letters or spaces between them. The next part is two, uh, 33 plus 33. The next part is 22, 22, 22. And so it continues. But this, like, they are 66 letters. And it, they were typed, so you, the, all the spaces were yeah, like very... A letter and the space between is the same typographical space. Mm. That is not exist any longer. But we had long discussions about that, and people like said, you have to keep these 66 letters, but I didn't. For me, it was not so important. I felt that that is like, because it's also like this like brilliance, uh, when you're so like, it, it is not so interesting. I, for me, the, the rhythm in this was much, much more like uh, carrying the poem than mm. this mathematical structure. So I, you always make a choice what is most important mm. to keep. But it, I think it was like, I know that conceptualism also is a very big thing here in the States. <laughs> we imported it. <laughs> it is very, very big in Sweden. And conceptualists cannot forgive me for not keeping the 66. Mm. But for me, the concept is like, it, it made her do something and that interests me more. Mm. What? What did it make her do? Made her do this. Uh, she's like a writing a, a creation from geological time until the, the present in like twenty pages. It, like something with a force of creation. In it, it is. Mm. You should read it. It is translated to English. It's wonderful. How, yeah, what do you think of it in English? It's great. It's very, very It's so great. How, do, how would it relate? How does it compare to how you translated it into Swedish? But for me, I, I read her translations because her translator, Susanna Need, she, they collaborated, and she dis they discussed a lot. Mm. So for me, it was like to understand that some like choices I knew her opinion of. But she has, they are very, very good translations. Mm. So you, I don't know, I, I think that 
you want to have a lot of theories about which language can you translate Danish to English and is it like not better in German or something. And I think it depends on the translators. It's okay. really very individual or yeah, meeting between two people. Mm. If I were able to read in read your translation and compare that to the English translation, for me it would be interesting to see how each translator handled meaning and mm. and reinterpreted through their own lens mm. and if there were differences anywhere. Yeah. But you know in this big uh, this book alphabet the what you have to decide about is how important is the alphabet. <laughs> because it, this, this book is structured, the first line is on A, the apricot trees exist, apricot trees exist. The next poem is in two lines and this is on B, the next is in three lines in C and then it's D but then it's three plus two it's because it's Fibonacci's mm. mathematical mm -hmm. series, mm -hmm. so it's five, eight, yeah, eleven, yeah. It grows very, very fast. Mm. But uh, we were discussing this so much, me and Iga, about because you have the first one, it's okay. You can, apricot trees, yeah, it, it will be apricot in very many languages. In B, there is like, but that is how, how these words are chosen, like, because there is a word which is in English, um, I, don't know, I don't remember, it, it's from nature anyway, and it's, it's really from the nature in Denmark. And I insist on that she what she's doing with the words is that it is like it's also like a child who uh, experiences the world for the first time. It is like it should have the freshness of like the landscape in Denmark or the landscape in Sweden like what what would be the uh, what could you compare the feeling of seeing something for the first time so we were discussing what is the most Swedish and be in the landscape like mm. but we ended up with uh, translating the word. We couldn't like it. it didn't make sense to change it too much. Mm. This is, I don't want to digress too much because this mm. is so interesting, but I've seen you, well, I've heard you read your poems and l listened to the movies and things, and something that I um, find consistent is this feeling, the rhythmic feeling of coiling and it's almost like within the coil of the sound of your poem, your words, um, there are these little crescendos and interactions that build upon each other. And I was curious about um, you experiencing your work in English or in any other language that you could understand that someone translated it into and like thinking about how that changes and how you feel about the change of that. It is, sure. It's really very real. <laughs> very real. But uh, for me, it's like, I don't know. I think there's a very big difference in my pose between the words on the page and how I read them. I was thinking about that yesterday when we were discussing this in the <laughs> translation workshop because I, there's like, as you see, there's a lot of uh, dots everywhere, <laughs> periods, mm. everywhere. It is like, and I think they do something with the reading of them. Seeing them, you will, it, it is like, it, it is a, um, a threat of attack to your voice, mm. somehow. Mm. So I think that this is like a, and it is, 
now when I think about it, it is a feeling that it so the cadences they are not they are different. You can make so many different ways of reading them, like gluing certain phrases or like spacing them or it, so it really depends how to do that. But the translation when I started to write I was like I was like so I was telling everybody you cannot translate it, don't even try. It is they are not, they are not meant to be translated. I was really feeling that and at least like in my, my first books because I also I was struggling so much with Swedish because I grew up with Danish and I was like holding so tight to Swedish and wanted them to be so Swedish and mm. not to move at all from the page. <laughs> I should stay in the page and be there and keep my universe together. But um, now I'm quite the opposite. I'm very happy with translations. What changed? Or was it sort of a gradual very shift? Good question. Yeah, very good question. I think some. I think both. I think it both gradually, but something. But it must have been a book. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. One book. It must have been that I'm writing a book. When, uh, yeah. I know. I, I have no answer actually. Really. But maybe also like a, a bigger joy in language. Like also the working with many different languages, which I did. I worked with like sound compositions and then it was really many, many voices, languages in that. And that's what, yeah, I know. I have no clear answer actually. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really interesting question though. Just thinking about a person changing through life and how, what happens, you know? Yeah. Your value system is yeah. constantly evolving. Yeah, but I think it, they are, Evolving, but they are evolving around the s same questions. <laughs> the answers become different, but the questions somehow remains. You were born with a question. Yeah, I, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Not even your own question, maybe also other people's questions. Mm. In your poem, Snow, this is very specific, because I really wanted to see if we could find a specific place mm. to, to hear you s speak from. Mm. But the line in English is, a collection of snow figures to mourn the dead. And you say, Ensembling snow figures for The English is silent, so we only see the, the typograph of the English. And we hear Hayith Almadun, and we hear you with this, and it's it's within that coiling that I was talking mm -hmm. about, and in that so in that one line I see that, like the sound and the, the sort of the composition of that line of yours, and then the contrast of the English. What do you see there? That one space within this one poem. I don't know how other people experience it. But the line, a collection of snow figures to mourn the dead. Mm. The internal body that you're bringing out is what we experience and that's changed in English. Mm. And so what, is it still the poem or is it, what is it? It could be the transition. <laughs> <laughs> but mm, that is a very, very good question. Mm. 
and um, and I think like when when I said about the rhymes in Christensen that they are like for her proof of the genius of the language, mm -hmm. I think that when I when you write you have to lean on something that is like bigger than you always, mm. and that this, for me sound is like I wouldn't say proof but as close as you can get to that to uh, to home very of course uh, difficult experiences I don't know what, how to explain that but the sound of the language is extremely important for me but it is you can say that uh, the snow the film and everything that that what is very very strange in this film that snow in Swedish is snow and you have these two umlaut yeah and uh, maybe that is like um, but as a poet uh, at least because for me also the poems are so visual uh, on the page to see these yeah. They are like, for me, they are almost eyes. It's a letter that looks back mm. on you. Mm. And uh, so this, of course, in, and in the film, there's nothing. <laughs> mm. But the snow is there. The snow is uh, for, is instead of this umlaut, the snowflakes somehow, at least for me, exist there. Mm -hmm. So I, and that's also maybe I think how you, at least how I work with translation and transformation that you lose something here and you struggle so much to get it, get it somewhere else and in this struggle and what you find in it, something happens and that is interesting. And also the feeling that this nothing is lost <laughs> in translation <laughs> because I, I cannot accept that. Mm. And that is, you know, I come back to my first question. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to think nothing is lost, but maybe everything is migrating on its own mm. terms. Exactly. Exactly. Which again is thinking about the idea of being an immigrant. It's what's being held by language. In your collaboration with I cannot pronounce it. Him saying he never wants to be an immigrant, you know. What's being held by language is becoming an immigrant in a sense. What he creates in his language. Yeah, I, I hope it does. We work with that a lot. But I, that's also like why we finally decided to sign the book, both of us, and we really discussed that a long time, because at also at that time, and still, Fiat is not a citizen in Sweden, he's only got permission to stay. So this to erase or like do something with your signature, with your identity, like uh, it, it is not an easy thing. So we had the choice either to sign each poem we wrote, one like so, so it would be very clear for people, which I still think it is very clear if you read the book, so it's not. But it's still something where you put your signature, but in the end, 
it would have made it an anthology, and it wouldn't be a true picture what we have been doing. But my, why, the reason I and I told him and others why I wanted that is because I, I wanted us to sign the gaps between our poems. That they shouldn't be too open to other people to think about, and it, it is like because also the gaps, big and small, we made, we really worked with them, and that is like also to resist appropriation and also somehow to resist others' appropriation of choosing. I like his pose, but I don't like hers. It was like it is the totality that was we somehow wanted make it like many manifestation of but it is I still there's also always something like when you have finished a book and this book took a long time to write and it was really because the, also this like to somehow not erase your signature but still like put it under under take it away for a while to work with someone it is it has been like a very very long process afterwards what who am I? How? With what shall I write now? And for what reason and everything? Mm. But, but what also what I think a lot about now is the gaps. What are they? Mm. What what mm. what is in like? What do they contain? What do they hide? What do they? That is interesting for me. Do the gaps represent a kind of liminal space, like betweenness? Yeah, yeah it does. It really does. Mm. What do you think of that? Uh, I'm not finished with thinking about it. Mm -hmm. It's also like, because it's not like, it's shifting how big it is, how small where it is. It's like, between us is interesting, strange, painful, uh, possibility, impossibility. It's a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Do you see a difference between the betweenness of working within your own poetry and then the betweenness that comes working with someone else's poetry and bringing it into a, your language because it's i just while i hear you speaking i feel that this betweenness is like it's so double-edged yeah and that is like and then you want to say yes there is no there is not it's like you, you just throw yourself to this and that uh, but i think of course gaps they are so important of course, and it's like, the, that is also like, when you are translating, you are so fast in filling them up. Mm. And it, that is something you really have to work with, to, with yourself. Do you think the impulse to fill gaps could be, like, in part, a feeling of insecurity or unsureness, which they sort of represent a kind of absence? And in absence, there is there is like voice and there is meaning, but maybe rendering rendering betweenness can trigger a kind of insecurity in the translator or the writer. Yeah, but it could also be like uh, omnipotence. <coughs> it's not insecurity, I would say. It, you, it could also be like you want to understand everything. You want to be able to do everything, it's like, um, instead of be more specific, clear, uh, 
touchable, even. Mm. To be touchable. Yeah. Um, Becca Hansen's read. <laughs> Whenever you feel you, like you want to run out, just let us know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so impressed by the questions. <laughs> yeah. Hoping to touch on. I mean, it's it's interesting, just sort of that we're approaching this idea of discomfort or I mean thinking about those gaps and like which yeah. is something that is hard to talk about when you're thinking about languages and foreignness and I don't really know if I have a question or something to say about it but just that I like that we're approaching that yeah, <laughs> yeah. even just a approaching anything creatively for me I I think there's always some level of discomfort underlying and I wonder if other people have that same feeling and and yet that's also not something that we really talk about. Yeah. I was terrible in the beginning when people translated. I was I couldn't take it and I was I was woman translated my poems to, to Spanish and we were discussing and I know a little Spanish and I commented so much and she said like, I will kill you, she said. I am the one who knows Spanish here. <laughs> it was like, and I was wow, what a woman, like what, like, hey, I liked her a lot, like I will kill you, sure. But, uh, <laughs> but I was terrible, I was stupid, I don't know what I was. I, yeah, it, it is a very, very strange thing to see your poems translated. It is more than discomfort. It is really, it is a very violent experience. And then it's, it comes back to this question, how can the poem be in Spanish when it's in Swedish? How can it be in your book when it's in my book? You, have, you are so attached to these. And so f translating with time for me has become this, like to think different about this phenomenon that it is in your book and in my book and in many languages. And that is something that I see maybe also like maybe when you are younger you really want to have, uh, you want to be the origin, have the original, write to the original. It is like, and maybe that is not so important when you get older. Well, it's, it's just, it's funny that your translator was insisting that she knew better about how to express your, basically take what you were saying, but she knew how to say it better than you did. Yeah. Just, and you have to sort of allow that. <laughs> but how do you, you know, how do you really believe that, that someone can express what you're trying to express better? <laughs> yeah. But I don't know, I, I like people being like crazy, crazy and passionate about language, because I think we all are, like, at least maybe we know that and not say it aloud to each other all the time, and otherwise we couldn't write. Why should we write if we didn't believe that this is how it should be said? Which, that's how, that's how you chose to translate your most beautiful... Inger Christensen. That's what compelled you to translate in the first place. Yeah, because it's not so easy to admit that this is a genius. I'm not. But you have to really put yourself in under... <laughs> on the right level to whom you are translating and, and and also because it is really also a, a pleasure which is very very hard to describe to people who doesn't do it but 
to translate to be able to be inside another person's work is it is like it is it is such a wonderful thing to be. Mm. It is like you cannot find the world and such a, and that you are allowed to be so close to watch so close what a person is doing. And suddenly because when you while you're translating you can I translated the book from her like I read it before and then I when while I was translating it it's the pain in it struck me like it hit me. It was like I haven't read it. It is you cannot see it while reading it. But when I it was like I understood that this book changed everything, like for the future. Uh, writing. But it was not clear for me before I, I translated it, and then it was like, and it, then of course the question arises: What do you do when you see it as a translator? Because I would also say that this is this book was written 67, now it's many years later. Should you add it to your translation, or should you not? Should you make it visible, or should you not? It is very, very, and that has to do with like, translating over time, what you can understand, like, what, what is reading, like, you read, like, suddenly things are visible, come to the surface, with time. And what do you do as a translator? That's a good question. <laughs> one, one more question? <laughs> That's probably a good note to end on. Yeah. I like ending on a question. <laughs> Thank mm -hmm. you.